As you take your seats, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, we continue to look at the ministry in Ephesus as it is described for us here in Acts as we prepare to look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The themes that we are seeing here in Acts 18 and 19 are themes that will be discussed in greater depth throughout the letter, and there is this incredible picture that is provided for us in our text this morning that is going to be filled out doctrinally when we look at Ephesians, but what we are shown here in Acts 19 is the power of God when there are competing temples. So once again, if I wasn't trying to do this this you know, special prelude to Ephesians, I would have titled uh, today's sermon differently. I would have t- I would have titled it that way. Um, but as we are continuing to look at Ephesus, we are going to continue to look at a place of bold, Christ-centered, spirit-filled. Ministry. I'm going to begin reading this morning in verse 23, and then we will read through to the end of the chapter. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is a danger, there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged. And were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the, conf- with the confusion. And they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the uh, Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander from the Jews um, had put forward, but Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew... For about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis? 
and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what a true joy it is to use our tongues to boast of your free grace, to have lives that boast of your free grace, to have a church whose union and communion in Jesus Christ as we share in the oneness of your life and love and your mission that we can be the embodiment of your free grace. Not only that we would enjoy the salvation of Christ and not only that we would grow in our freedom from idols, but that we would be the manifestation of Jesus Christ to Dallas and to Hiram and to all the surrounding areas here in greater Atlanta. And that we, through continued participation, Lord, might see your gospel spread across this land, across this world, connecting Dallas, Georgia, even to Nagaro, Japan, because of the oneness that we share in the triune God because of Jesus. Oh Lord, speak to us this morning and break through the things that keep us from living lives of faithful devotion to you. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What we have seen in the ministry here in the church of Ephesus are some pretty major things. We have seen a Christ-centered ministry where Jesus Christ is the focus of everything that is happening. Jesus Christ is being exegeted from Scripture And Jesus Christ, you might say, is being exegeted from the lives of those who are following Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ and his gospel is not just information that is being preached and taught, but it is a life that is being embodied in the followers of Jesus. So that Jesus is being heard in the teaching, Jesus is being seen in the interactions within those who are in the church. That the ministry here in Ephesus is not a simply a top-down ministry where you have the ordained uh, person uh, preaching and, the, and the, uh, the lay persons just following, but we've seen this beautiful interaction between Apollos where there, there are a husband and wife, there's a husband and wife team, lay persons instructing the minister And the minister receiving that instruction and growing together as they are together manifesting 
their Savior, Jesus Christ. Ministry that is coming from every direction, from everyone that is involved. And the preaching and the teaching that we have seen here is not just Christ-centered, but it is bold. It is a preaching and a teaching that is marked by evangelism, where they are seeking to promote Jesus Christ to those who don't know him. And the preaching is marked by discipleship as the preaching of Christ is not only evangelistic, but it is going forth to strengthen those who have come to know Jesus Christ. And this bold preaching of Christ, we are told, is marked by reasoning and persuading. It is not simply, well, we all know that God is sovereign, so we'll just, you know, say something and we'll see what God does with it. What we see the apostle doing because God is sovereign is he is reasoning from the scriptures and he is persuading people both within and without the church. Christ-centered ministry, bold preaching and teaching. And this is a spirit-filled ministry as we looked at last week as in a sense Pentecost has now come to Ephesus. The Spirit has promised, was promised by Christ to his church in Acts 1.8. The Spirit will come and when he comes you're going to be my witnesses and it's going to start here and then it's going to branch out and then it's going to branch out further then it's going to branch out further. And what we are seeing in the book of Acts, or we haven't, we're not seeing it because we're not really looking at it, but if we were to be looking at it, as the gospel is going, the Spirit is going. Or as the Spirit is going, the gospel is kind of a chicken and egg thing. And what we see here in Ephesus is that through the preaching of the Apostle Paul, that full gospel preaching of Jesus Christ, the spirit that fell on the church in Pentecost is falling on these new converts here in Ephesus. And the result of this spirit-filled ministry is we saw last week is there are some special things that are going on, some exceptional things like, like these miracles that are happening through the Apostle Paul. But we also looked at the common things. And, the, and by common, we don't mean that, oh, you know, ordinary, you know, not a big deal. But what we mean is that that which we can regularly expect to see within the church of Jesus Christ. And what we see is the Spirit freeing believers in Jesus Christ from bondage to idols and sin. This is what is happening in the church in Ephesus. This is what is happening within a group of people through a Christ-centered Spirit-filled ministry of bold preaching and teaching of Jesus Christ. The result, we are told in verse 10, is that all residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. There is no one being left out. There is no one not covered here. This is, only for, this is not simply that, oh, well, because Jesus was a Jew, um, that you know, they were preaching to Jews only. But Jews and Greeks, those who we have seen described in the Scripture of having this antipathy, are being brought together through the preaching of, of Jesus Christ. 
some from every tribe, tongue, and nation existing within this geographical region are hearing Jesus Christ preach. And in verse 20, we're told that the result is that the word of the Lord continues to increase and to prevail. Is this the kind of ministry that you want Grace Covenant Church to be? That's the question I have been asking, and it's the question I'm going to continue to ask because this is the ministry that I think God sets before us for us to desire. A Christ-centered, Spirit-filled ministry where the Word is bold in going forth to the people of God and through the people of God that Word is bold in going forth into the surrounding peoples. The result, the third result that we can see here this morning is that, as Luke says very cleverly, there is no little disturbance that is happening now within the city of Ephesus. Up to this point, what we have been looking at is what is happening through the preaching of the Word of God within the church what is happening within those who are receiving Christ by faith. Now what we see is what happens in the surrounding city, in the surrounding community there in Ephesus as a result to what God is doing in his church. And what has happened here is that as people are becoming freed from their bondage to idols and to sin, and as they are responding to the preaching of of God with public repentance and confession of sin, the result is that there is a very real-world impact that comes from this spiritual stuff that has been going on. No little disturbance concerning the way. Now, there has already been disturbances, haven't there? The Jews and the synagogues have been disturbed by the preaching of Christ. The spiritual realm has been disturbed by the preaching of Christ. But now what we see is the community's worldview is being disturbed because of the preaching of Jesus Christ. And what we see here is that there are two major ways or major things that are being impacted because of the preaching of Jesus Christ, and that is in the people's devotion and in the people's economy. Now, as Americans, we tend to think that the material world and the immaterial world are not necessarily connected. Now, you may say back to me right now, I've never thought that. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Some of us tend to get caught up in weird arguments and try to figure out different things. Some of us are just live more practically. But this, the culture that we live in here in America constantly tries to tell us that, one, the only thing that is real is the material world. And that if you want to pursue something spiritual, well, that's fine. Go ahead, you do that. Just make sure you keep it out of the public arena. Make sure you keep it out of what's going on in the everyday goings-on of the city because the city has to operate according to 
science. And the city has to operate according to what we can verify through, through sensory uh, verification. What is real is something that can be touched and handled. And the result for us is whether we are actively engaged in living according to the worldview that is around us here in Dallas or whether or not we are passively influenced, the result is the world that we live in tends to see the world as only material. And the result for Christians is that if we are not careful, we, start to be in, we can be influenced by that. And we can start to think that there is a distinction between our material lives and our immaterial lives, between what we do on a regular everyday basis and our spiritual life in Jesus Christ. What is interesting here in the city of Ephesus is this connection between the immaterial and the material is first seen in the Ephesians themselves. You see, the world that that the, the uh, 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 Ephesian church was living in was not a world that divided the material and the immaterial. They understood that material and immaterial worked together. And the city of Ephesian, uh, or Ephesus was a city that had particular pride in their temple to Artemis or their temple to Diana. This temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So not just because of the worship that took place there, but because it was so grand, because it was so big, because it was so beautiful. It had taken over 120 years for them to build it and to get it into that state that it was in at the time of Paul. And as a result, it was a it was an issue of pride for the Ephesians. But this pride was not simply because, look at this great building we have, this will make us popular. The pride is that they really believed that because of their temple and because of their devotion to Artemis, that their city was prosperous. Ephesus was an extremely prosperous city. It was a place that you would want to live. It was a place of great trade. So there was wealth. There was, it was a place of great libraries. So it was a center of learning. It was the kind of place you would want to be. It was a place that was uh, the center of a lot of cultural things that are taking place. And in the city of Ephesus, their connection to Artemis was central to their political and to their cultural identity. What it meant to be an Ephesian was that you were of Artemis. Their identity was tied to their idol. The result was that pilgrims would come from all over the land to worship there. The worship of Artemis was not centrally, or it was not um, isolated just right there in Ephesus. The worship of Artemis was all over the Roman Empire. And there were small little temples and small little places here and there that had been set up where people could go and they could engage in the worship of Artemis. But if you really wanted to engage in worship of Artemis, you had to go to Ephesus. And so people 
Quite often, twice a year, these pilgrims would come from all over the Roman Empire. What do you think that did for industry? What happens in any tourism town, right? People don't come in and leave their money at home. Money was flowing into Ephesus because of the worship of Artemis. And what we see here in the text is is that this was so important to the Ephesians that the economy uh, of the silversmiths was contingent on them being able to make and to sell these little idols of Artemis. Pilgrims would come from all over, and the result is the wealth and splendor of temple and city were coming together in such a way that their worship and the economy were seen as being tied together. And both of those were seen as being the result of Artemis' favor. If you want to know the strength and power of Artemis, we'll look at the worship and the economy of Ephesus. The Ephesians considered her their god. In fact, the Ephesians were jealous for her. Yes, there were people that worshipped her from all over the Roman Empire, but when those people claimed to to be worshippers of Artemis, Ephesians would say, but you're not as devoted as we are because we live in her city. We live with her temple. We live with her presence. That they would get jealous even among themselves, among the followers of Artemis of just how special she was to Ephesus. We can see this in verse 35, by the way, where we are told, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis? Twice we are told, verse 28, verse 34, that crowds are chanting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. In fact, the second time we are told that they have gone into the theater, which we know seated about 25,000 people. And for two hours, 25,000 people chanting over, 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 great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. What this tells us is this concern of Demetrius that the local economy is being hurt because fewer people are worshiping their idol. This is not simply a matter of economics. This is not simply that Demetrius is upset that he's not making as much money. It would be easy for us to read it that way as Americans. No, Demetrius is upset because the glory of his God is shrinking. People were devoted to her. They were jealous for her. And they were her rewarded devotees. Demetrius tells us there is a danger not only that our trade is coming into disrepute, but that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. And that she may even be deposed from her magnificence. What we see 
in the idol worshipers is a connection between their devotion to their God and the way that they connected their real world existence to that devotion. But what we see going on here through the presence of God, through the preaching of his word, and through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, is that, as we have said, there are people that are being delivered out of darkness. There are people being brought into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That As Christ is being preached, and as the Spirit is making that preaching effective, there are people giving their lives to Jesus Christ, where once they were swearing their allegiance to Artemis, now they are swearing their allegiance to Jesus Christ. And with the swearing of that allegiance to Jesus Christ, there is a change that is taking place within them that is not merely spiritual, even though it is spiritual. It is a spiritual change that has very real, real world effects. And the result is that one, we have seen that people were coming and bringing their books that they used for witchcraft, and they are bringing them to the leaders of the church, and they are burning these things. And we we are told that the value of what they did there was in the millions of current day dollars. That the cost of them taking the name of Jesus Christ and swearing allegiance to the Lord of the universe is giving up the source of wealth. But what we also see in our text today is that be, in not just giving up those books and burning them and, and getting rid of the things that were getting in the way of their devotion to Jesus Christ, they were no longer participating in the economy of Artemis there in Ephesus. They are no longer buying those idols from the silversmiths. Not only are they not simply continuing to worship Artemis, they're not giving her their money. For years, Artemis has reigned in Ephesus, but because of the Spirit freeing people from her reign and then being brought under the reign of Jesus Christ, she is losing her worship. She is losing her power. She is losing her gifts. As Demetrius rightly says, she is losing her magnificence. Now, Paul will tell us what's really going on here when we get to Ephesians, especially Ephesians 2. You see, what is happening in Jesus Christ is when we are called out of darkness and as we are brought into the kingdom of the beloved Son, we are told that we become fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. When God, when God frees us from our sin and he draws us into Jesus Christ, what he does is he incorporates us into the body of Christ, which he calls a temple. And so as God, through Christ, through the Spirit, through the proclamation of the word, is building his temple in Ephesus, Artemis' temple is under threat. 
That's what's going on here. There is this competition between these two temples. And as the people of God are giving themselves over to a costly, sacrificial faith, there are incredible things happening to the point that the local economy is being affected. It is interesting to me here. We're not told that as they came to know Christ that they started running around and telling people to stop buying the idols. Even when Demetrius cites Paul, he doesn't say that Paul says stop buying idols. The people, it doesn't tell us, are going out around condemning those around them for buying the idols. Now, why is that important? It's important to me because the emphasis of the text is that what is leading to this very real-world impact of the gospel on their local community is coming from their confession of sin, from their public repentance, and through a faith that trusts Christ to the point that naming him is not just a way of of getting out of trouble. Naming him is not just a way of trying to benefit from being a Christian. Naming him is about the totality of their allegiance which is resulting in the way that they are managing their time, their treasures, and their talents. To put it another way, up to this point, as they were worshipers of Artemis, their time, their treasures, and their talents were going to the service of Artemis. And now, their time, their treasures, and their talents are going to the service of their new king, Jesus the Christ. So often, we are reminded of the the difficulty that there is in not just worshiping Jesus Christ, but having the material um, wealth and, and, and money that is needed to be a part of this worldwide mission of Jesus Christ. I wonder how much of that, though, is not the result of not having it, but not prioritizing it. I wonder how often there is service to Christ and devotion to Christ that we do not give, that we reserve for ourselves in wanting to continue to participate to some level or another in the value system of the world around us, in participating in what the world says is important, participating in having the right things or having the right status, not having time to give to Jesus because of time that's being given to a career. And that's not to say don't take your career seriously. God says glorify him to the uttermost in doing your job as well as you can. But there is a prioritization of time. There is a prioritization of talents, of giving ourselves in service to God through the local church. 
not staying at home and keeping the blessings that God has given you to yourself, but coming and being around the people of God in order to share those blessings with those around you. There is a prioritization that takes place with regards to time, treasure, and talents that is being unfolded for us here, that when people will really buy in to the message of Jesus Christ and give themselves to that message, that there is a sacrificial living that results in amazing ministry. And the amazing ministry here is not defined by what is happening publicly. It's defined by what the people are being willing to give up. Because their giving up of things is the, is, is the, is the revelation of the worldview that they, have, that they have changed from. They have given up a worldview in which they give their time and treasures and talents to Artemis, and they have bought into a worldview where they are giving their time, their treasures, and their talents to Jesus. There is no dichotomy or gap between the material world and the immaterial world. There is no gap between your spiritual life and your real world everyday life. There is no gap between God's love to you and God's love through you to your neighbor. There is no gap. We live in a world that tells us there's a gap. We live in a world that forces the gap onto us. And it becomes so easy to buy into that gap. And to think that my spiritual life is something that I should just keep to myself and I'll, I'll, I'll maintain it within my private prayer closet and I don't want to get out into the world with it. Ignatius of Antioch, who was a disciple of the Apostle John, writing toward the end of the first century, said that with regards to the way that the Christian church would grow in the Roman Empire, while the Christian church was illegal, how would it grow in the empire? He said, our worship will destroy the temples of the idols. What the early church understood is that it was in their devotion to Jesus Christ. It was in their personal confession of sin. It was in their congregational confession of sin. It was in their public repentance to the church. It was in them taking responsibility for themselves and not being worried about those out there and what their sins may be, but them worrying about the sins that were within their hearts and the sins that were within their community. And as they dealt with those things, the Lord blessed that. And there were people outside of those walls whose sins started being confronted as Jesus Christ was preached to them, not only in words, but as Jesus Christ was preached to them through the life of the community. When we are a community that is marked by a humility and a trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we will do scary things like confess our sins, when we will do scary things like giving up idols, when we will do scary things 
like rearranging the priorities of our time, treasure, and talents. It is when we do this, beloved, that the devotion that we have in Jesus Christ will spill over outside of ourselves to those around us, outside of these walls, to the community around us. You see, the ministry of Grace Covenant Church, it's not about where are we going to be focused inside or are we going to be focused outside. Beloved, it's both. And the focus that we will have on inside is us dealing with our sins and us building up the courage to exercise a faith that reprioritizes our lives. And the focus that we will have on those outside of us is presenting to them the hope of what that kind of faith does. And presenting to those outside of these walls that as they are looking to their use of their time and treasure and talents to get for themselves something that, they can ne- that those things can never give to them, we can give them what they are looking for, and that is Jesus Christ. And so as we continue to prepare for this letter to the Ephesians, I want you to continue to keep this picture in your head of what we are seeing unfolding before us in this ministry of Ephesus because what we will see in the letter to the Ephesians is the teaching, is the truth of Jesus Christ that if we will submit ourselves to that, that we will experience the power and the presence of God through his word and spirit here at Grace Covenant Church. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, living by faith is, is hard and it is scary. And yet it can also be so exciting and so fulfilling. But as some of us were reminded Friday morning, living by faith, following Jesus Christ by faith is something that fluctuates. We are not constant. We are not steady. And so, Lord, we we thank you for your mercy and for your grace, that you know that this is how we follow you. And that your love is there to continue to encourage us to be honest about the times when our faith feels weak, to be honest about the times when we know that we are not giving ourselves in devotion to Jesus Christ with our time, treasures, and talents, but also to look to you to continue to strengthen us and to fulfill us and to lead us to risk following Jesus Christ to the uttermost, to risk following our Savior by taking up his cross as we follow him. And so, Lord, encourage us through the reception that we have received all things in Jesus Christ to be be willing to give up things that are rusting and decaying and will be destroyed at the end in order that we might invest ourselves into the things that are eternal and unchangeable. Things that you have given us in Jesus Christ, things that you are keeping us for because of our faithful high priest. Lord, lead us to believe that there is nothing that can be given up other than things that are disappearing anyway. 
And may that confidence that we have in the, in the Christ who gave himself for us and has sat down until his enemies will be made his footstool, that we are those who are seated with him in the heavenlies, awaiting the fullness of his victory to be revealed, even as we continue to reveal that victory as we take up the cross. Father, we ask that you bless us and bless the ministry of Grace Covenant Church for the glory of your great name and for the good of the people that are here and for the salvation of those whom you will call to yourself. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.